so when I think about leadership, I don't think about it in the professional sense. I think about it in the sense of the strong ties I have to the people I love. And so love and leadership for me are very mm. much interconnected. Self-leadership can be lonely. It's hard to do the thing no one else wants to do, that no one else is willing to do. But you are not alone. There are others dancing through the fight and laughing as they lead. Let's find them, swap stories, and live through this together. Welcome to How I Live Through This. I'm your host, Ann Roach, and I'm really glad you're here. I am beyond delighted to welcome Bernadette Jiwa to the show today. When I was prepping for the show, I asked Bernadette to give me a bio. How did she want me to introduce her? And she gave me this line. Bernadette is a writer and storytelling teacher. And I'm laughing at that Bernadette because only someone with an extensive accomplished bio <laughs> does not need a, a long bio. So my response to uh, writer and storytelling teacher is yes and. Bernadette has a very long, very accomplished, ridiculously impressive bio, which you can find at thestoryoftelling.com. She is all these things. And she is one of my favorite people. And she changed my life. And, and this is the professional reason I asked you on the show, you embody the kind of leadership I strive to achieve that I only recently understood was possible. And I don't mean your followers or your accomplishments, although those are amazing and would be nice, but in your conviction, in the way you show up. And it makes me curious, have you always been a leader? Hello, Anne, <laughs> dear friend. It's lovely to have, not that I ever need an excuse to speak to you, but it's lovely to have an excuse to speak to you. And I'm so glad you're finally doing this podcast and this work of shining a light on, on leadership and other people in preparation for this podcast because i knew you were going to ask me this question I, I if you if you said to me that i'm a leader i would question that you know i i wouldn't call myself a leader i i i don't think that's a label that i would give myself but then i started thinking about it and going back to as far as childhood and thinking about all of the ways not just I lead, but we lead. Mm. So I wrote a list and, it, and, and the things that were on the list were, the first thing actually was sister. Even though I was a daughter before I was a big sister, but I am the eldest child in my family. So that really stuck with me, this sister. Uh, relate my relationship to my siblings when I was small really struck me and then I started thinking about my brother who I lost when he was just 31 and thinking about all the times in our childhood that we had together and how 
lucky I was to be able to be a big sister. So whether that's a question of leadership, I don't know, mm. but it felt like it was to me at the time mm. when you asked this question. And then I, I, then I think about leading as a mother. Mm. So when I think about leadership, I don't think about it in the professional sense. I think about it in the sense of the strong ties I have to the people I love. And so love and leadership for me are very mm. much interconnected. Oh, I love that for so many reasons, two of which are, that is how I see you leading with love. It's fierce, but it's so grounded in love. And that that is that kind of leadership. I, I love that you said sister and mother. Uh, and it's funny because I was when I was thinking about all of the things on your professional bio, I actually had wife, mother and sister, a daughter, I think I put on there as well. But leadership, people lead themselves, people are leaders in their lives in all different ways. It's not just a professional label. And, and I think we forget that. I was raised by very working class parents and there were things that they couldn't do very quickly. There were things actually that I could do that they couldn't do because mm. they didn't have a comprehensive education. They had to leave school at the age of 13 and 14. And, and even even back then they didn't get a great, you know, they, they didn't get the equivalent education to what a 14 year old would have now. So a lot of the time they struggled to interpret things in the world, like official documents. They didn't have confidence. And my mom would always say to me, oh, you write the Christmas cards because mm. you didn't have the confidence to write. So in some ways, as a daughter, those roles were reversed because of the circumstances my parents found themselves in, because I learned to read very quickly and write very quickly and loved school and loved the library. And my parents didn't have access to that stuff. So I didn't, I wouldn't have called myself a leader of my parents back then because of course they were the adults, but I, I guess I was developing those skills at the time. Yeah. Would you have been able to envision? Oh, how could you? How could you have envisioned what was coming? Not at all. <laughs> I, I, that, I think that's the thing. Uh, we, we had a conversation last week. And I said something that went something like this, you don't need to know where it ends to begin. And I think if we try to envision the ending we never think big enough we never know where where anything we do is going to end and mm. it's just great to start anything from a place of curiosity not knowing just enjoying the doing and the next step on the journey and and not being attached to an outcome or knowing where it might mm. end and i think that's that served me well i did have a have a a label that was attached to me was bossy <laughs> and, and, and still true. I, I like to take responsibility. Um, and I like to, mm. yeah, I, I like to be, I like to be intentional and I like to plan 
but plan without being attached to the outcome. I like to be organized. And I think that stems from my childhood too. When you have to do that when you're little, it's, you just have those habits. And this sounds crazy, but I, I guess until I've had the chance to really think about what, what kind of things we were going to discuss, I, I didn't think about defining leadership. I, I, I suppose I just live it. Mm. It's, it's like it's like defining motherhood or sisterhood what kind of definition could you create that would capture the essence of any of those things including leadership yeah but that's so interesting because I think a lot of people don't recognize that that it is something that's within them I think a lot of people don't recognize that they have the capacity to lead themselves. And there's a whole industry around mm. <laughs> telling people what that is and how to do it. But until you actually tap into what's important about it for you, that's not quite right where it resides within you. Mm. I, I don't know that any of those tips or tools or instructions will really deeply settle. Hmm. What's interesting about what you're saying there is I, I immediately think about the bookcase downstairs in our house. So for 10 years, I didn't read anything but nonfiction. And my husband, who's also a leader, has lots of books about leadership, how to be a great leader. And I think what we've found in our work together and in helping people to tap into their stories and rediscover who they are is that if you go back to your stories, which is what you mm. prompted me to do when I was thinking about leadership, if you think about stories, if you think about your origin story and your backstory and do this life events timeline, you'll discover that you're already a leader. Mm. You're already a leader of yourself. There've been times when you have shown up in circumstances where you didn't think you could do whatever it is you're being asked to do and you did it anyway. Yeah. It goes back to that um, thing we were talking about last week, uh, that, that phrase, you don't need to know where it ends to begin. Maybe these, and maybe the training is all about helping you to see what the end is so you can begin. But often leadership is about not knowing where the end is and beginning anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. And I feel like that's been the story of, of my life. You know, I came from a very working class background where my parents who didn't have a, a great education. They came from very big Irish Catholic families. They had to leave, leave school at 13 and 14 to go to work to help support their families. They didn't have a choice about what kinds of jobs they were going to do. They couldn't read and write very well. 
And a lot of the time, very quickly as I went through my schooling, I overtook them educationally, even as a young child. And therefore, I ended up having to do things like reviewing official documents or writing the Christmas cards because they didn't have the confidence that they were good enough in inverted commas. So, you know, when I think about those stories in my, when I go back to my backstory, I see, I see that leadership was part of that journey, but I didn't know when I was doing that in the moment that that's what it was. Right. And those times, those events in my backstory, and I'm sure in everyone's backstory, helps them to become the kind of leader they are in their lives right now, even though they probably don't see it. When were you aware that that was leading? I don't think I would have labeled that as leading. You said to me before that you got the label bossy. <laughs> yeah, that, and, and I think and I, that's interesting because a man doesn't get that label. Sure. Uh, a, a boy doesn't get that label. So, um, yeah, I, I, I liked to take charge of things because I would know they would be done even as a child. Um, because there were some things my parents couldn't do. Yeah. And I'm going to sound really old now, but in <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking about, so my little sister and I, there are five years between us. There were three in our family. I was the oldest and I had a middle brother who was just 17 months younger than me. So I'm guessing I did a lot of leadership there as, as a young child. Or I actually, you made me remember something. My brother and I, when I was four, and he would have been two and a half, we were both admitted to hospital to have a tonsillectomy. Oh. And... In those days, your parents didn't accompany you to hospital. Right. So I remember being four mm. and, and looking out for my little brother because we were in the same ward yeah. and making sure he got his ice cream, uh, mm. you know, when he was two and a half. Mm. So how can you be aware at four that that's what you're doing? You're, you're looking out for the people that you love and the person that you love, and that's leading. Mm. You're not aware of that. So when I say that that's the only place I, I know how to lead from is from love, I think it's, uh, it's just something that's innate. And I don't mean just innate in me. I think innate in all of us if, if we allow it to be. As I'm talking with people about leadership, I wonder if it is unique to you because I'm hearing also that there is leading from play, leading from necessity. Your stories sound very much like leading from love. 
Well, some of it was leading from necessity. Maybe, mm. maybe there are different times in your life where you lead from different places. But I think there's something that underpins all of that. For me, it is, it is love. It is wanting to mm. make sure. And that's the thing, this making sure. And that's the thing I personally need to be careful of, the making sure as a mother that everything is okay for the people that I love and that they are, they don't get hurt and nothing mm -hmm. bad ever happens to them because that's a dangerous kind <laughs> of leadership. That's a controlling and, mm. and that's a negative thing because you can't, well, you know, as a mother, my sons need to go, need to be on their own journey and yeah. need to go through the ups and downs of life as painful as it is, as you know, as a mother to watch your children struggle with anything, it's their journey. So there's also that as a leader, that, that space where we need to give other people who we are leading and loving the space yeah. to be on their journey. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm, it's making me kind of realize that 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 word love can show up in different ways. Maybe the stories of necessity can be a, a love of oneself. I love myself enough to want to survive, and so I need to lead myself through this. Or leading from play, that sense of, uh, I was talking to somebody else about her sense of play but i also i heard in that a love of her parents mm. um so it, that's really interesting when were you aware or were you always aware that taking responsibility and showing up in that way was productive or had impact i think in in lots of ways i mean we could talk about uh, reading as an example, you know, getting a library card and knowing that I could open up a different or, or another world was available to me if I went and got the books mm. and, and spent the time reading, which I loved uh, as a small child. And then opening up those other worlds, which were not accessible to my parents who would never have read a story about Laura Ingalls Wilder in the big woods and, um, you know, TV would have dominated our lives. So there's storytelling there. And there was always stories around the table, but they were about the world that you knew. So I think thinking about the world that you didn't know, I understood that from a young age that, there was a big world that I didn't know beyond the street where I lived, beyond the suburb where I grew up, beyond the school that I went to, beyond the city, the only city that I ever knew. My parents, well, my, my mother was born in the house. She's 80 this year. And she was born in the, the, she can see, should I say, the house that she was born in from the house where she now lives. Mm. And 
she's been living in that house for 40 years. And when we moved into that house when I was about 10, just uh, she'd been living in it more than 40 years. And we carried the furniture across the road. So that was our world. It was a really small world. And so I guess I knew that reading at that point was one of the ways I could lead myself to other places. So curiosity mm. was one of the ways I could lead myself to other places. Mm. Yeah, that word uh, keeps coming up. That word keeps coming up. And I, it makes me think about when you said beginning without knowing what the ending is. Mm. When curiosity is your companion, mm. the ending isn't the point necessarily. Yeah. And, and also faith, faith in yourself and yeah. faith that things will turn out as they should or as they're going to, because mm. we don't have control of that either. But whatever the outcome, you'll be okay. Hmm. Did you, did you believe that? Was that something you were aware of? I think as a very young child, when my parents were poor and I could see that there were times when, when they struggled for money and things like that, I felt like when somebody else was in charge of the outcome, when it was all in their hands and I was a child and didn't have any control of that outcome I felt a lot more insecure than I did when mm. I got a bit older and could take my own steps to whatever the outcome was or would be yeah yeah that uh that's so interesting because that to me is leadership knowing that whatever the outcome is you're going to be able to deal with it. Mm. So there is so much of leadership, whether it's self-leadership or, or leader leading other people that is hard <laughs> and filled with hard shit that you don't get any credit for or that nobody notices or that they you don't want them to notice. I think about there's a lot of mother in motherhood. There's a lot of that, a lot of mm. stuff you don't want your kids to necessarily know, um, and that they shouldn't need to know because you don't want to scare them. But where do you find that? How do you balance that? That really hard stuff of leadership. That it, this means I'm going to have to step up. Yes, I'm a child or I'm a or I'm a grown person and I see this thing is happening and it's really hard. But I know that I am capable of getting through this. Where is the dance in that? Where is the where is the energy for that? I think it's the the power in the agency, the power in knowing that you have agency. Again, no matter where you land. There is a confidence in that. There is a belief in yourself in that. And maybe everyone's capable of it. Yeah, maybe. You know, if I was to get a tattoo and it would read, your heart always knows. 
So if if my heart is telling me something, I really listen. I really listen. It's no different when I met my husband, the same kind of feeling. You seem to have tapped into that really young. I mean, not everybody hears it. I can't explain that. I don't have an explanation for that. And maybe that's the story I'm telling myself when I look at the thread, mm. but there, there definitely is a thread there. Well, I, I believe it because I, that's what I see in your leadership is like that. When you say the word love and I hear, and I hear that, but what my experience is with you is that there is a fierceness there as well, a protection of it, a, a projection of it, a, a strength in it. And so we talk about, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a strong word when I hear it, when I see it in your leadership. Love is a strong word when I see it in your leadership. It's a grounding word and it's also a, it's also a an invitation for outcomes you can't imagine. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe when we think about leadership, we think about uh, the male leaders who are held up generally in our lives. And maybe they're not uh, encouraged to lead from a place of love. Maybe they're encouraged to lead from a place of strength. And what you're, I think what you're saying is the two are not mutually exclusive no that's right that's right there's a power there's a power in love another word for that is vulnerability we you know we talk a lot about in the story skills workshop about the the vulnerability in telling your story but there is such such strength in vulnerability maybe we should talk about um, stories, how not story skills workshop, but how we met and how, how we got to know each other. And well, that's one of the, (laughs) that's one of the reasons I say you changed my life. Um, When I first met you in the story skills workshop, which is a workshop that you created all about telling your story, uh, crafting your story and, and telling your story. I was thinking a lot about, about this as I was preparing to talk to you because, oh, there was such, it was such an unexpected, it was such an unexpected journey. I mean, well, this is making me think about endings and beginnings. (laughs) And I was trying to tell this enormous story in the story skills workshop. And you kept saying to me, what's the five minutes before that moment and the five minutes after that moment, that moment, that small moment of shift and tell me who you were the five minutes before and and five minutes after. And what I learned in the Story Skills Workshop as a student and then as a coach where I was so honored when you asked me to join as a coach, was the power of story, but not just for me, but 
when I ended up telling the story I told in the Story Skills Workshop, which is just this 30 seconds story of an interaction I had with my son, the reaction that other people got from that story was not at all <laughs> what I anticipated when I told that small story. In yeah. fact, you know, to be totally honest, I wasn't even sure <laughs> when I did t the telling of that story that it was a story, that it was a story that would work in the Story Skills Workshop, that it would, a story that fit in the structure. I was, I was just desperately trying to tell my bigger story and I couldn't do it. And so I told the smaller one. And what has just amazed me in the however many sessions I've I've been in the in story skills workshop as a coach, because you were so generous to use that the video of me telling that story in the workshop, is that the lessons people take from that story are never ones that I anticipated mm -hmm. even me getting out of that story. It's they take something from that story that they need to hear that then helps them lead themselves or themselves as a parent or whatever it is. You talk about agency, but I think that's a huge block for some people. If I do this, I'm going to have to be responsible for it. Mm. And Yeah, but you st you st it's something small, isn't it? I, I think agency starts with a small thing, a small step. So when I first started, okay, so I didn't start writing until I was in my mid-40s. And when I first started writing, I started with a single blog post that nobody was ever going to find on the internet, and that was okay. I had a WordPress website, and I hit publish, and I put some words out there, and then I did it again. For several years, I did it five days a week, and then I did it. Um, then I went to a schedule of three times a week, and somehow people found those words. <laughs> yeah, in a and, big way. <laughs> and then, you know, when I had a certain when I had a certain amount of posts, I realized that that could be a book, and it became a book. But that was never my intention when I took the first step. It yeah. was the first step was I've, I've got an idea and I've got something to say. And it actually helps me to think to when I write it down. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it as good as I can today and then hit publish. If I read back on those very early posts, I would probably want to delete them, but they're still there somewhere. That they're a reflection of what I was thinking and, and doing at the time in my life. If you had known what was going to happen, would you, would you have been able to take that first step? I, I mean, I would always have been able, but... Would it have helped me to know what was going to happen? Would it have made me any better in that moment? When I think about the day I became a mother, would it have helped mm. me to know some of the things that I know now, 30 years on, just about? Um, 
some of them maybe, but it's part of the journey, isn't it? Would it have made me a better mother to, to, to know where I was going, the mistakes I was going to make on the way? Probably not. <laughs> Jeez, I wouldn't have gotten out of bed if I, if I <laughs> so There you go. There's your answer. Um, no. And you just, you expect the good. Just expect the good and, and take the first step. It's the same with, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I transitioned to writing fiction. My poor nonfiction editor was always saying to me, um, you're repeating yourself so much here. You're not trusting your reader. Um, when I this is when we got to writing books and when I, when I was writing my books and she kept seeing these stories about my brother and my parents and my Dublin life popping up. And she kept saying, I think you need to write a memoir. I think you need to write a novel. And uh, shortly after I turned 50, I thought, Oh, maybe, maybe I do want to do this. Mm. You know, maybe I, I, you know, I want to try this. And I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know, you know, there are a lot of books out there about writing, but I decided just to start with, you know, I'm going to write one scene about this story mm. um, that I care about and, and see where, where it goes. And before long, I had the bones of a novel. I didn't know you know, at the time that I was, that anybody was ever going to read it. I hope they would. I hope I would publish it. I didn't know if I, if a publisher would acquire it, but I knew I wanted to write it. So then it was worth doing. If, if I wanted to write it, then it had to be worth hmm. investing the time in. That was a story that, that novel was inspired by a story of a friend who I love very much. So, and will be published next year. Next year, yeah. It, it, I did end up uh, finding an agent. I did end up, and and those, and there was a lot of serendipity in a lot of the things that have happened to me in my life. I found my agent through. Uh, through an Irish editor who I wanted to read the book because it's set in, in Ireland and I haven't lived there for um, well over 30 years. So I just wanted to do a check that, you mm. know, the, that was that the Irish voice was right. And that's the only voice I can write in as mm. it turns out. <laughs> and then she was the person who introduced me to the agent. And then the agent, of course, has to make her own independent decision. And then, then it goes to the pub publishers and, and then you don't know, you can, you get a lot of rejections and you hope that the story resonates with somebody. So I think we, this is a, this is a long way around to say that, you know, we can never know mm. where the journey is going to end when we begin. And that's part of the fun of it whether that's in motherhood or our professional careers or our creative endeavors, 
I think we have to do things for the love of them. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That goes back to that authenticity. If you just are compelled to do it because you love it. What I want to know, Anne, is why you wanted to, what compelled you to join a workshop to tell your story? Well, I mean, the flip answer is, as the daughter of an Irishman, I've always loved stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I also, I love stories. I love stories. But I love what's underneath stories. Hmm. That's something else I've been thinking a lot about leading up to this call. When I, when I, joined, the, when I joined the Story Skills Workshop, I thought if I can tell my stories better, then when I'm talking to potential clients, coaching clients, I can explain to them how my transformation changed my life, how my shift in mindset changed my life. And if they can hear that story from me, they'll understand that they have the power to to change their life as well. And Yes, it did do that. Absolutely, it did that. I absolutely I did that. I wasn't able to articulate what transformation meant to me in the same way that I was able to articulate why I was a public defender before I became a coach. You know, the story of why I fought for my clients as an attorney that felt really heart-centered. That felt like I could tell those stories. But telling people how much more rich or how much more joyful my life was because I had changed the way I saw it <laughs> was maybe more of a heart-centered place, but it felt so, oh, I don't, what's the, what's the right word? Maybe I didn't believe in the strength of it. That's not where I thought strength re- resided. What I learned in the Story Skills Workshop What I learned in coaching and then found as a way of communicating in the Story Skills Workshop was was the strength of the heart. Was Mm -hmm. when I began my coaching journey, I was in my coaching training and that first week and I always say it was like it was like my whole self became unzipped and my everything came out and my heart was exposed. Mm -hmm. And it felt everything. I was talking to Hannah Wright, who was in the Story Skills Workshop. And she referenced a song, I hope if your heart is breaking, that it's breaking open mm-hmm. and you are feeling everything. And I, I couldn't stuff it all back up and like cover it up again. <laughs> I just couldn't. And I, you know, I started in that, in that moment, I started shifting how I was seeing the world from in my head, in my intellect to from in my heart. Mm-hmm and figuring out, learning how to tell stories like that, to communicate like that, Mm. you know, stories that left my head and and started from my heart changed, yes, how I spoke to potential clients, which has been great, but more importantly, it helps me do what I'm hearing has been something that you've been able to do. (laughs) 
(laughs) your whole life, which is hear my own stories and hear when the stories of, hear the stories of others and then help other people hear those same stories. To hear the love, to to expose the love and then to really find the power in it and help other people feel that power. So beautifully said. Well, it's a little, it's a little theoretical, (laughs) but I'm thinking about the work, you know, the whole reason I started this podcast was that idea of who is doing hard work, who is showing up to leadership, which is hard sometimes. You have people complaining about it or filled with ideas, but not actually any interest in in taking ownership of it. And a lot of theories, as you say, yeah. theories abound yeah. as to how you can you can do it right. Yes. <laughs> like there's a right way and a yeah. wrong way to do it. Yeah. Um, when I hear you, when I hear you referencing that song uh, about feeling everything, if if there was one skill, I think I have. I think it's that. It's that just feeling everything so acutely and that's that's something that I think I've had from a very young age Mm. (laughs) and the power of being able to communicate what it is you're feeling that's what you gave me in the story skills workshop I'm glad I'm glad yeah because if you if you can't communicate that power, you, you can't unleash it. If we think about some of the great leaders and the great orators, I think what people connected to were two things, their stories and the way that they felt everything, like they could communicate with feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and often we tend to think to lead, we have to hide what we're feeling because we don't want to panic the people we lead mm. or we don't want to show them. We, we, as Brene Brown would say, we armor up to go out into the world mm-hmm. because we don't want to be judged or we feel we're not enough as we are. Yeah. And I don't think you can lead from a place of, of where you feel like you're not enough as you are. Flawed, as we all are. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, what, I, what I'm hearing in that, Bernadette, is, is, is there is a love of self as well there. That there is a love for self. Yeah, that that is enough, that that is... Hmm. I'm not saying that correctly, but I think we're born with that, Anne, and it's the world that mm. tells us that that we shouldn't love ourselves. Yeah. We yeah. shouldn't ha- have uh, 
you know, growing up as a young girl in a Catholic country that was very insular at the time, us girls were certainly not encouraged to stick our heads up too much or hold our hands up too much. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how the culture and the cadence of the culture shapes us. That's also something that I am really keen to explore in, in, in fiction too, in the writing that I'm now doing. But how did you, how did you know not to listen to that? I did listen to it for a lot of, a lot of the time. I left the country. Don't, don't forget. Mm. When I was 21, I got married very young. And um, so let me backtrack. My husband is Indian and he, he was brought, he was raised in Ireland from the age of 11 and had a pretty tough time fitting in there because at that time, you know, it was a very uh, white, very Catholic, I, I would think around 90% of the population would identify as Catholic in the 1970s. And so when we met, um, he he said to me, your parents won't approve, would never approve because he, he tried dating Irish girls and he, he'd got the line, you're the wrong color, culture mm. and creed. And um, yeah, th that was me listening to my heart. I told, <laughs> told yeah. him that was a load of rubbish. <laughs> and anyway, I, I also fell madly in love with, with um, that beautiful man. And so my parents were, were, not, were not obstructive in any way. They welcomed him with open arms. Mm. And when we decided to get married, we went to the parish priest's house, this, this parish where I had been brought up, lived my entire life, sang in the choir. My dad played the guitar at the Sunday service, taken all the sacraments there. Just really just our whole cultural world, this, this church. And my then fiance and I stood on this welcome mat outside this parish priest's house and knocked on the door and the priest sort of opened it a crack. And, and I said, Oh, hello, father. I, um, I've just gotten engaged and I'm here to, to talk to you about arranging a date for my wedding. And he sort of squinted at Moyes, my now husband, over my head and he said to him are you catholic and he he said he wasn't and then he just turned to me and said have you any idea what you're doing mm -hmm. do you have any idea what will happen to your children they could be abducted and taken to pakistan or wherever he's from <sighs> and he basically shut the door in our faces and i think it was at that moment we both realized we couldn't stay, that we had to leave to 
live the life that we wanted and yeah. to be free to love how we wanted and to raise a family. Yeah. In the way, well, it, to, to raise a family who, and so that our kids would be accepted and not othered, mm. which is what we did. And so we were, we were not afraid to leave and we have not been afraid to leave any of the places that we've lived in. We've, we've lived in a number of places and learned a lot. And um, it's been a wonderful journey. We moved from there to Scotland where people were just incredibly warm and welcoming. Mm. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Our eldest son was born there and the people are just incredible. Mm. That's not to say that the people of Ireland are not incredible. It's, it's to say the, the place that it was at the time and, and the, how the culture uh, was molded around certain beliefs. Yeah. I don't believe it's like that now. It was not the right place for us 30 odd years ago. Yeah, that's such a powerful story. That is the story of love, believing in it allowing it to be the most powerful part, allowing it to lead. Yeah, I don't think it steered us wrong. It's certainly not steered mm -hmm. me wrong, leading, leading with heart. And as you say, opening up your heart and allowing yourself to feel, allowing yourself to feel those things, the anger, the rage, the disappointment yeah. in that moment and saying, okay, now what am I going to do? What am I going to do with all of that? Yeah. Yeah. That's where that that's where I hear that energy. If it starts with love, it will end with love. I think so. Hmm. I sometimes have to, you know, some you know when you do something that um really annoys your kids, like you you do something <laughs> you know it was a mistake. <laughs> But it, it, you you justify it. Well, I justify it as coming from a place of love. But I think when they know that it's coming from that place, they kind mm. of get it and understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So even if, yeah, that's interesting, Bernadette. Because then even if it is, fierce and even well because it's fierce but even if it it means saying things that other people don't want to hear it's so true that that it will be okay because mm -hmm. it comes from a place of love mm -hmm. You know what I love about the work that we do and love best of all is reminding people who they are. Mm. I think that's the magic of the work we get to do. Because when they, when they go back to their stories, they actually see with great clarity all of the mm. best of them. Right. Even when it's even when it's messy or it doesn't look perfect. When my brother was dying, he was in Dublin at the time and I was in living in England with like 
three kids under the age of eight and a husband in a very busy job. It was really hard to get away. Mm. Um, so we talked a lot on the phone and I did go and visit him a couple of times when he was dying. But on the day that he died, I was at, I was two things. Our middle son was five the following day. So he, he was, we were having, preparing for a birthday party on, on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Saturday, my husband was at home with the kids and I was in town shopping for party balloons and uh, candles and all these things to get this party going. And I was also shopping for a photo frame because I had found this picture of my brother standing at age three with this mop of white blonde hair standing next to a tree with some tool in his hand that he'd managed to mm. coax out of uh, some adult you know, yeah, because he only because he wanted it. So he was that determined he'd gotten it. And he is just the most beautiful, angelic looking child you've ever seen in your life. And I wanted to send him that photo in a frame so that he could put it on his mm. bedside locker and be reminded of who he was and fight for that. And so I, I got home and I pulled up in the driveway And my husband came out to meet me and I just knew by his face. And he just said, oh, Johnny didn't make it. And I was like, that was probably the worst moment of my life because I just didn't get the chance to help him to see who he was. Not enough anyway. Oh, Bernadette. So I'm glad we get to do it for for other people who are living and get the chance to keep living. Hmm. And I think losing my brother has really helped me. Um, you know, I often think, and what he was 31 when he died, and what would he have done if he'd known at 21 that he only had 10 years left and what would he not have done Hmm. so when opportunities arise um, or ideas or whatever they are that feel like the right thing to do i i I just want to grab them Hmm. and i want that for everybody we work with and i want that for you which is why i'm glad you're doing this podcast and i want that for you my kids and your kids. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And as you were telling that beautiful story, I thought of the story you told earlier about giving him ice cream when you go into the when you went into hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suspect you gave that to him while he was with you. I hope so. He was somebody who was, um, he, he died with a lot of um, dreams left in him. And mm. I just wouldn't want that for anybody. Yeah. He was somebody who was conditioned to believe because he wasn't academic at school. Right. 
that he, you know, because he wasn't good at school, he was almost conditioned to think that he would be rubbish at life. Mm. And he it was far from that. He was a brilliant storyteller. He was the, like he was a stay-at-home dad when it wasn't trendy to be a stay-at-home dad. Mm. He was a wonderful father to his girls. And he was a wonderful son to my parents. And he was just a soft, big-hearted, mm. a beautiful human being. Mm. Who I think was labeled as somebody who shouldn't be able to lead, but who led in a lot of ways and who was loved because of how he led, but he just didn't believe it. Yeah, that's that value of how we how we label people or how we what we value and what we say is valuable and what i love so much about you bernadette is that you not only help people see the value of themselves and their stories but it is you show them how valuable it is that that is the most valuable thing, who they are in their truest self. I wonder how we can do that for the next generation. And I think that's a challenge. I think they, I think it's harder for our kids because they're so influenced by everything that's going on around them. It's even harder. You know, they've got these, this wonderful opportunity of uh, this digital world that they now live in, but there's, there's also the darker side of that. And, and I, I'd love for them to, it's interesting, we don't get enough millennials, I think, in our story skills workshop. Mm. Maybe they don't feel like they've got stories yet. Maybe you need to have, feel like you've lived a little. Mm. That's interesting, Bernadette, because I, I think about my kids. I was actually thinking about doing a whole season with young people. I'm so inspired by them because, yeah. yes, I hear that, I hear the, you know, that they're exposed to such darkness, but there's also so much light shown in the darkness that there, mm. there never was for us. Think about, you know, my father also from Ireland, um, you know, and, and what was not talked about and mm -hmm. what was happening that everybody knew was happening, but that was never talked about. And it's talked about now maybe sometimes too much, maybe there are things talked about. Um, you know, there's always a, there's always a disadvantage to every advantage, but I hear the way, the way and how my children talk about things that I never, there wouldn't have been space to say it like that or to, to feel it or how heart centered they are and how they recognize that that's, that there is value in that. They were brought up with different language than we were, a fluency of vulnerability, a fluency of love that, that at least in, in my upbringing, 
wasn't given the same space and certainly not the same level of importance or value. I'm looking forward to them stepping up as our leaders, quite honestly. <laughs> I think they already are. Oh, yeah, I think sure. they already are. I think they've given up on all the rest of us. We're, we're, <laughs> they're assuming that they'll just take it over when we all go. But I think that they already are. There are so many young people, so many young activists and advocates, and they're not waiting for somebody else to take agency. They are doing, or to take responsibility, they are taking agency for themselves. You got me thinking about my middle son, who mm. has a lot of the characteristics of my brother. Um, he, you know, he wasn't one of the very studious, like he, he, he's a real kinesthetic learner. So he wasn't one of the, you know, I'm going to sit down and devour this book and then write a report about it um, at school. So he's... Um, and he, he often says, oh, school wasn't for me. He did go on and get a college degree. But he, when he was growing up, he, he would say to people, I, I want to work with Lego when I grow up. And, and people would always moderate that and try and help him to be realistic. Right. Oh, you know, nobody gets to do that. That, you know, only very few people get to do that. And, and he, he would just say, well, somebody does this for a job because I've seen it in a, in a book mm. uh, in the library. So why mm. not me? And he, he did end up doing that for a job. Um, he right now is a master model builder at the Legoland Discovery Center. That's amazing. And what's interesting about his journey to discovery is he's learned that the best part of his job is is not actually building with the bricks and and getting to you know, build incredible models and design incredible models it's actually teaching hmm. the kids <laughs> to be creative bernadette sounds like his mother who knows <laughs> that's so beautiful that's so beautiful that dreaming big why not? And then showing other people how to do the same for themselves. And also not knowing how you're going to get there, but just trying things and failing and, and, and doing, doing things to a place of love. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's that if you know where that's coming from, that that is, that there is a love and that love is not shiny or perfect or easy mm. it means you're stuck with yourself <laughs> it means there is only one way through it you've got to do it and you can try lots of different things sure <laughs> and try and, and fail but thank you for being so generous with your time and with your love. You're welcome. I'm, I'm glad we got the chance to chat today. Thanks for listening to How I Live Through This. 
I really appreciate it and certainly don't take it for granted. My goal for this podcast is to get support where it's needed. If you're so moved, please check out the organizations mentioned by my guest and consider how you might assist. Rating and reviewing how I live through this will also help amplify these heart-centered leaders striving to make equitable change in the world. Thanks so much.